Father, we just thank you that you have brought us together as brothers and sisters. Just pray, Father, as we continue on in your word, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us through it, that you would make these things applicable and doable in our lives. And Father, blessed are we as we do do them. And so, Father, as we are preparing in this week of thanks, we just pray once again that we would acknowledge the one to whom we are to give thanks to. And so, Lord, you are the God of all good things. And so we come together to worship you, but now to hear from you through your word. And so speak to us and guide us once more, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings. Sir? Hi, Alfred. How are you? Good. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 11. We'll be starting at verse 1. Now, keep it in mind, just a little bit of history as we are looking at history. We'll be doing the next two chapters. King David and his son Solomon are long dead. There's been a split in the kingdom of Israel. The ten northern tribes, they're the kingdom, the northern kingdom, they're the kingdom of Israel. There's the two southern tribes, which consist of Judah and Benjamin. They're the southern kingdom called Judah. We've been looking at these series of kings, and we've seen some who've been dedicated to the Lord, and some who are separated from the Lord. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the southern kingdom, if keep in mind that last week, We saw the life, the reign, and we saw the death of the ruler of the northern kingdom, the man Jehu. Jehu was an evil man. He he had a heart, and it seemed like he was wanting to do the things of the Lord, to be obedient to God and his word, but in the end, he was just no different than any other of the northern kings. In verse 29 of the previous chapter, it says, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves which were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, so you had an element of obedience here, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generations. But, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. And really, as I'm putting these studies together and I was looking at these, and it's a concept that we look at from time to time, and I'm sure a lot of us have experienced this in our past lives, it's this, this reality of, of religion. Religion separated from relationship with the Lord. And you have these people who are just going through this mindless religion that they have no relationship that keeps them anchored with the relationship with God. And as they don't have this relationship with God, there's no obedience to it. And, and you see them, although they have this, this religion, they're, they're doing these things that are contrary to God's word and, and, and apart from what his desire is for his people. And so you have Jehu, and God had commanded him to do some of the things that he's done. He took it too far, and then, again, he, instead of having this good relationship, he had this religious relationship that resulted in, well, a godless heart. His descendants, yes, his descendants did sit on the throne, 
and they were given rule of Israel to four generations, but they were godless men. Why? Because godlessness begets godlessness. As dad had no heart for the Lord, they had no heart for the Lord. Jehu's sons, they were filled with assassinations, defeats, and idolatry. It's a concept. It's a concept that God gave right away. Now remember, Israel is released from Egyptian bondage many years before. They're going through the wilderness. God gives them the law because it's in the keeping of the law that God was going to dwell amongst his people. Now we know that nobody can keep perfectly the law, but that's why the sacrifice was instituted later on. But God gave the commandments up on that mountain, and in chapter, um, chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 5, it says, You shall not bow down to them, speaking of carved images, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations to those who hate me. Now, it's not that the future generations, God is cursing those generations, but the idea is, is that your sins of disobedient as a parent, as a grandparent, you see the effect that we're, we can very well have in our future generations. And, and what the Lord is speaking here is, is that visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations, the sins that you commit, he's saying if you're able to go forward in time and, and, and to visit the future generations, you'll see the same things going on. And again, I, this was, I've seen this in my own kids, but it's been multiplied to me in my grandkids and the respect and the love that they have for me, the dedication that I need to have towards them, the responsibility that I have towards them. And I have this great opportunity as a man of God, not because I'm a pastor, but just simply because I'm a Christian, to give that good witness that the future generations would walk in the ways of the Lord. So just as chapter 10, last week's study, tells us the events in the north, chapters 11 and 12, we're not going to look at 13, but that chapter as well, is going to tell us of the events in the southern kingdom of Judah. This is a parallel time. This is what was happening in the south as we saw what was happening in the north last week. So once more, we need to examine a cast of characters. And the first one is one that we were introduced to previously. Look at verse 1, chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. So this woman, Athaliah, she's the daughter of King Ahab and Jezebel. She's the wife of Jehoram and the mother of Ahaziah. She would be what was called the queen mother. Both her husband and her son were ungodly kings of the south. Her husband, he died of a horrible disease, intestinal disease. And her son, well, we saw last week that he was murdered a couple weeks ago. He was murdered by Jehu. But what we have to keep in mind here is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that's what we're seeing here. The wages of sin. Well, sin has entered into both kingdoms at this point. And that's why we're seeing how death reigns. Last week, we saw a contingent of Ahaziah's brothers. They went north to make peace and to form an alliance. But they were murdered. We saw this in chapter 10, verse 14. They were murdered by Jehu. And so as we enter into chapter 11, we see that Judah now is at the mercy of this evil queen mother. 
Again, her mother and father were Ahab and Jezebel, and they had an evil influence upon her that what we're seeing here in verse 1, it's just a political move that she doesn't think twice about making. She has an opportunity not only to save herself, but to assume power, which she did for about six years. So once again, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, Ahaziah had been the king, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. This woman who introduced Judah to the worship of the false god Baal, what did she do? You know who the royal heirs are? The royal heirs are her grandkids, her grandsons. And she had them all put to death. And you, so you see the depth of the evilness of her heart, how, how the desire for power has totally consumed her that she's willing to put her grandchildren to death. Without the sons of her dead son or her son's brothers, her own children, remember again, they were murdered, she gets the throne. And so her love and her passion for power and position has overcome whatever love she may have had for even her own grandchildren. So again, just see the depths of sin within her life. What we see here is once again, somebody trying to achieve something in the flesh. And anytime we try to achieve something, when I say in the flesh, I mean according to our own wills and passions, apart from the will of God, you see the extent that they're willing to go through and the damage that is caused because of it. Failure, failure comes when human ambitions come in conflict with God's will. Human ambitions come in conflict with divine will. This woman, we'll see tonight, is going to meet her demise because she has stepped outside of the boundaries that God has set. Athaliah, in her ambition also, she's come up an insurmountable problem. Yeah, she's going to get six years on the throne, but again, this is the southern kingdom of Judah, and that throne has already been promised. Remember when God met King David? We looked at this last week, but God gave King David very rich promise in which this woman does not fit the qualifications to sit upon that throne. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God told King David, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now we know that's a prophecy that is given, that is fulfilled in the Messiah, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have this woman who is not part of the line of David, who is seated upon the throne. So she's got a couple strikes against her. She's a murderess. Not only that, and you see the depth of what she is as she murders her own grandchildren. And now she's coming against the word and the will of God. And so we see this evil woman coming up against God is soon going to fail, as most people do in their schemes when they scheme against the Lord. So we see this arrangement of Athaliah. Second, we see this commitment of the godly. Look at verses 2 and 3. But Jehoshabib, Jehoshabib, Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from amongst the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that she was not killed, so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. It's here that we have two more people that were introduced to. Uh, Jehoiada, not mentioned there, but that's um, 
that, that's this woman, Jehoshaphat, that's her husband, and he's high priest at the time. So he's got control of the temple. Now, Athaliah, she wouldn't be going into God's temple. She has constructed a temple to Baal, a false god, and that's where she worships. And so they're seeing what's going on here. And as they're seeing what's going on here, Jehoshaphat, she, well, she's the daughter of Jehoram and Athaliah. So she's this woman's daughter, and she's the aunt of Joash, and she's seeing the evilness of this woman as she's killing these grandchildren or, or, or her nie- or nephews. And as she's seeing this, she sees this young man, Joash, and she makes the determination, I can't save them all, but I'm going to save this one. And so during this most evil time, these are two people who apparently have a fear of God and are willing to do what is right in his sight because they understand his word and his power. Keep in mind, if they fail, they die because this woman would not think twice of killing them. But again, they understand the rich promises of God, and so that's where they put their trust. That's where they put their faith. Again, it's the same thing we need to be of the mindset today as we sit in Bible study after Bible study to know God's word. Well, to know God's word is one thing, but to do God's word, to be obedient to the things that God has called us to do and who he has called us to be is essential. It takes faith because we need to trust in God because as we're obedient to God, we're coming up against the world. We're going contrary to the world and the ways of the world. But which way do you want to go? You want to go the ways of the world or do you want to go the ways of the Lord? It's the ways of the Lord that bring life. It's the ways of the world that may seem profitable for a period of time, but in the end is the way of death. So from the perspective of the people of Judah, with the legitimate heirs all dead, in their mind they're all gone, again, they're unaware of this one young man who is being hidden, Athaliah, she rules on the throne for six years. For six years, they're under the thumb of this woman. Now, the temple's there. We're going to see later on because Joash is going to restore the temple. But as for this time, the temple is in disrepair. She has no desire for the temple or the things of the Lord. But the good thing about that is, since she didn't go to the temple, it was a safe house for this young man because never does God not have his people in place. There's never a time in human history where God has not had his people who fear him and are dedicated to the Lord. There will be one time in the future, and again, I think it's just going to be for just a microsecond. It's going to be at that time when God comes back and he takes the church, comes back for his bride, and the only people that will be here on earth for a short period of time will be the unbelievers. But it's going to be the witness of the truthfulness of God's word that, again, people will get saved. So there's always the godly that are around. There's always the godly people, and that's the foundation that God always builds upon. And God will do great things built upon small foundations. And so, again, we need to consider that, where it is that God has called us to minister and who God has called us to minister. Because Jesus said, if you only have mustard seed faith, I'll do great things. He says, just exhibit just that little faith, that little desire for obedience to God, and I'll build great things upon it. And so we need to consider, where is it that God has called me to minister? And so I can examine my life. It's obvious here at the church, but my wife, I can't neglect that ministry. I still have four children, although they're married and gone. I got grandchildren now, and 
friends. I still have my mother, and I still have my brothers and my sister, and I still have all of these opportunities for this work of ministry, and in different areas and in different ways, but in areas that I must be faithful to. And some of it can seem so hopeless at times, but again, if I just exhibit that mustard seed of faith, God has told me he'll do great things. And so God... God can do great things, and we'll see he'll do great things here, especially as we go through the the book as a whole, because we know everything in the Old Testament. Where is it leading to? We can look back and see it's leading to Jesus Christ. It's leading to the cross on Mount Calvary, that place where the price was paid for the sins of mankind. The price was paid for us. And so there are still people that fear the Lord here. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord or the respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This woman is a fool. So Athaliah has built a temple in Jerusalem to Baal, but she has allowed the temple, the people who fear God, to continue on. Government is the same way today. They allow the church to continue, so we are still able to have effect in this nation and I say they allow it's not that they have a choice because God is the one but we understand the outcome of what God desires to do so we continue to push forward even in the face of the opposition that that we come upon in this society so never forget the outcome of history and the future that God has for us and in Matthew The Lord just whittled it down to two. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says, The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then in chapter 25, verse 41, it says, Then he would say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ knows those who are his. We gathered here this morning. I thought it was, I had a good time as we had our our morning of praise and worship. Just remembering all the things that God has done. Remembering the goodness and how he's made us a church and how he's brought us together as a a family of gathering together of God's people. Taking the time, again, because it's Thanksgiving week, to remember who it is we're thanking to understand that, yes, all good things have come from the Lord, and I can look at the blessings that I have in this present life as we should, as I encouraged everybody to count their blessings, to not neglect that, but also to neglect that I've got eternal life, that I was a lost sinner. I was depraved. And and, and as I was lost, I could do nothing for myself or my condition. But at some point, because of the great love with which he loved me, God entered in. And as God entered in, he entered in in a very real and a very personal way. He brought people in my life who who shared the word. And although I was really religious, I was very far from God. And so as God entered into my life, he changed me and he saved me. And he brought me from those people who were cursed on his left hand to the people who were blessed on his right. And it's because of that. Well, that's the advent of our worship of him. That's our advent of the love that we are able to have for him because he's first loved us. Because just as Athaliah is evil, we were just as evil in his sight apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for six years, with all that's going on, God's got this young man, Joash, he's safe. He's the only remaining heir, and he is the one who has the right to the throne at this time. He's tucked away in the temple waiting on God's timing. 
And it's a lesson that Elijah had to learn, what we saw when we were back in 1 Kings. And again, I pointed it out just a little while ago. Even when things seem so dark, God always has his people in place. Now, Elijah just had a great victory in the Lord. But then he kind of came to the place where he felt like he was the only one who was left. He was the only godly man that was doing anything for the Lord, and it kind of got him down. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then later on in verse 18, says, Yet I have reserved, now this is an angel of the Lord, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God's always got his godly remnant. Tonight, you're part of God's godly remnant. It seems like we're such a minority and we're such a weak voice in this society. Never is God's people a weak voice because through the voice that we speak, as we speak God's word, that's the power of God for salvation. Never are God's people in the minority. Never are God's people in a position of weakness. We always minister from a position of strength. Thirdly, we have the deployment of Joash. The time has come to reseat the house of David upon the throne of Judah. Starting at verse 4, In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought... Now, keep in mind, Jehoiada, he is the chief priest. He's over the temple, and he's kind of orchestrating. God's using him to orchestrate all that's going on. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. So even though this evil woman is seated upon the throne, there are people who understand the will of God. And so what this high priest is doing, he's coming and he's gathering these people to himself because he understands that God is now ready to make a move. Verse 5, Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One-third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. Now, when he says the king's house, this is where um, Athaliah stays. That's where she's at, so keeping an eye out for her. Verse 6, One-third shall be at the gate of Shur, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. And you shall keep watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within range, whoever comes to attack him, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. Just means that you shall not leave him. Verse 9. For the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of the hundreds, the spears, the shields, which had belonged to King David. And so there's a picture there of unity and the reestablishment of King David's throne that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapon in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. 
And so, obviously, we just kind of spelled it all out. But here's this young man, and, and you can imagine if you were in that audience, you're seeing God's word, God able to keep what he's promised as this young man is seated upon the throne, this heir of King David. Now, there's two things to note here, two things that we've got to understand. There was the crown that was set upon his head, but also we're told here in verse 12, now look at that, this is important, it's important you know, when we're trying to understand the word of God. It says, and he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. Notice that the words in your, my Bible, it should be in your Bible as well, the two words gave him. Those two words are in italics. Are they italicized in your Bibles? Some say no, some say yes, but most Bibles, they're italicized. What that means is, is that the translators inserted them for the purpose of clarity. They're not trying to add to the word of God, but the way that they understand that, they're trying to add clarity, but unfortunately, it doesn't always add clarity. Now, if I read this without the italics, I think it makes better sense. It says, and he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and the testimony. To me, that makes more sense. And so what that would say then is, is that they put the crown on him, but they also set the testimony on him. Now, what's the testimony? The testimony is the first five books of the Bible. In essence, it's the law, but not just the Ten Commandments, the law. It's the instruction that has been given and how Israel is to conduct themselves as they are God's people. Now, when something is placed upon your head, the idea is, is that the responsibility is yours. And so with the putting a crown, the placing of the crown upon his head, he's responsible. Now, any leader should see that. When God gives you responsibility over people, if God has given you a wife or a husband, there's an element of responsibility. As God has given you children, there's an element of responsibility, a leadership position at church or really anywhere. As God gives you responsibility over people who much is given, much is expected. And so who is it that God has given you? He's given you a responsibility over his beloved, over his people. And so we need to understand that. And so the crown is given, but also there's the word of God that I really believe was placed upon him. And so he's responsible not just to govern the people, but govern the people based upon how God desires for his people to be governed. Because they've been governed, but they're governed by this evil woman. And now there's a change that needs to come about. And so the idea here is this was done to the will of God by the word of God for the king of God's people. Now, we saw in our study in the book of Deuteronomy, and this kind of lends towards what I'm talking about here, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses is speaking of before they enter into the promised land, God had desired to rule his people, and he had desired for judges to do so that these judges would seek out the word of God and make decisions based upon that. But the people, the people were dead set to have a king. And so God gave them instructions for when that would happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, he says, this is a commandment given to the people, and, and also it shall be when he, when the king sits on the throne, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, 
from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. And so... If you were going to be king of God's people, you were required, basically, to write out the first five books of the Bible. To write them out. Not just read them, but to write them out. Why? Because you were to be responsible to lead God's people as he had commanded his people to be led. Now, it's possible that Joash, why six years? Well, maybe it took that long for him to, he's seven years old at this time, to mature but maybe that's when he finally got done writing out the law of God. The possibility, it doesn't say that. But we see how that's true. United States of America, this young nation, and this young nation, not all the founding fathers were Christians. They weren't all believers, but it was founded according to the word of God. And the Ten Commandments, they were found in every law book. They were found before every courthouse. And now what's happening we're starting to eradicate, we, I say we as a society, we're starting to eradicate that, and now we're suffering the repercussions. We can't, we can't tell the difference between a male and a female anymore because we've gone in this ridiculous direction. And we see the, 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 just the state of our society. Again, mass murder, seems like there's a mass murder every single week. There was a man in a school. What's it going to be this week? Every week it's something different. And guns and gun control, and I'm not going to even go there, but it's not about gun control, it's about heart control. And there's only one person who can control the heart of mankind, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's got to be a turning back to the Word of God, or this society is never going to be all that it can be. It's never going to be all that it was. And so it's not about gaining control of guns, or gaining control of drugs, or gaining control of whatever. It's gaining control of people's hearts, as I just said through God's word. We've got to see, we've got to know, we've got to understand that that's the priority. Obviously, God knew it, the high priest knew it, and I would imagine that's one of the things that he taught the king and that this is how you are to govern God's people. And just as surely as I put the crown on your head and people will recognize you as king, many kings, even heathen kings had that, that woman had done that, but I'm going to put the word of God on it so all people will see that there's a difference here, that you are a child of God and that you are to rule according to the will of God. I guarantee you, if we ever got back to that, I'm not saying you're putting something on somebody's head or whatever, but if we ever got back to biblical morals, this nation would, would experience a huge change. I was looking at this article that was written, um, maybe it was a video, I don't remember, but um, the change that has come about, I think it was Iceland, you know, they, they go through long periods of darkness and whatnot, and their kids, they were getting into drugs and trouble, and they're just this huge societal situation. Now, there was no revival there, but these people didn't understand. But basically, they got back to biblical morals. They didn't go, and I'm not saying they looked up the Bible to find out what biblical morals were, but as they were saying what they were doing, I'm saying, these things are some of the things that we do that the Bible tells us to do. And so they started implementing these things in households and keeping people accountable, and there was a huge change. I, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but there was 30% of the kids, it was right in there, that were abusing alcohol. And now it's down to about 7%. 
and there's this huge change. And really what we need to see is that's just a little, a little picture of what God is able to do when we're obedient to his word. Now, I don't expect the world to be obedient to his world, but are we as the church obedient to God's word? Well, the king was expected to be, and as he's seated upon the throne, that's the picture that we have. Fourthly, we then have the bereavement of Athaliah, verses 13 through 16. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. So something's going on. She goes running out. Now, she comes into the temple of the Lord, verse 14. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to the customs, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes, that's a picture of anger or mourning, and cried out, Treason, treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her, if somebody tries to deliver her. So the priest... For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. And so that's a kind of a veiled weight. Let her be killed, but not here. Verse 16. So they seized her, and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. That pretty much speaks for itself, but just a reminder, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. She's suffering the effects of her sin. And so we have the establishment of the throne of David once more, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and its images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of hundreds and bodyguards and escorts and all the people of the land and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house and then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet or it was at peace, for they had slain Athaliah and with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Just four key, key things, and then we'll move on concerning the king of David. First, there's two proclamations in verse 17. Then Jehoiada, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. And the idea here is, is one between the king and the people, that the king would govern according to the law, according to the ways of the Lord, that this was going to be a godly leader. The other was between the nation and God, that the people would worship only the Lord. And that's why we see this eradication in verse 18, where there's a passionate people. And so what they do is they go and they destroy the temple that is dedicated to these false gods. There's an adoration as they're coming and they're worshiping God and they're realizing God is doing a great thing here. And, and again, just to have this throne be restored back to the Lord and under the direction of the Lord because it's the hand of God that they were seeking and they see that adoration because of this restoration and the people rejoice. And so now we have Jehoash. Joash, Jehoash, it's the same person. These names are used interchangeably. Um, 
don't really know other than Joash simply means given, Jehoash means Yahweh gave. And so I think while he's on the throne, you see the change in the name so that you understand that his being upon the throne is by the hand of God. Remember Romans chapter 13, whoever the governing authorities are appointed by the Lord. So that's exactly what is happening here. Psalm 33 verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, remember that these things are happening in the southern kingdom as we saw the events of the northern kingdom back in chapter 10. But again, the biggest difference is one is the act of the flesh, the other is an act of the spirit, a work that God is doing. So next we see the entanglement of Joash as we enter into chapter 12. What I want you to see here, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 16, but what we're going to be seeing here is, is this man who's doing right in the sight of God, but again, he's being very religious, but we're going to see what the result of that is going to be. Look at verses 1, and six, 1 through 16 in chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, so again, Jehu is king of the northern kingdom, but in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what is right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Now that's a key thing. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord the whole time that high priest was alive. That should be a little bit of a warning there. But the high places, now the high places are either the places where false gods were worshipped or people improperly worshipped the Lord. But the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any um, dilapidation is found. So again, the temple had been in disrepair because of the evilness of the previous administration. Now it was so, by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Jehoash called Jehoiada the priests and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damage of the temple? Now therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the door put there all the money that money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money and it was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money which had been appointed into the hands of those who did the work and had the oversight of the house of the Lord and they put it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and stonecutters for buying timber and hewing stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. <clears throat> repair the temple. However, there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver 
uh, tremors, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, and any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So, you've got this man who is now seated upon the throne and things are happening. Now, good things are happening, but there's that problem. Unfortunately, what transpires between verses 16 and 17 is going to tell us another sad story of somebody who didn't finish well. Where do we see those things? Go ahead and turn over to the right, to Second um, Chronicles chapter 24. It, it gives us a little bit more insight of what was going on during this time. Because remember what I read previously, that Jeho- Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Well, there's a problem with mankind, especially if your relationship is based upon somebody else. God has determined there's to be no... Now, there's people that encourage us, there's people that teach us and instruct us, but your relationship with the Lord is your relationship with the Lord. You need nobody in between you and God. Now, there's, again, going to be leadership within the church, and we respect leadership, all of this, but ultimately it always boils down to you. Now, the problem with... Joash is is Jehoiada. Now, Jehoiada, I'm sure, was instructing him and encouraging him in the ways of the Lord. Obviously, he was, but Joash, it didn't seem like he ever really developed that relationship that he needed. He was full guns into into religion, but not into relationship. Verse 15 in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, But Jehoiada, he grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. He was an old guy. But this is a man who really seemed to love the Lord and to do the Lord's will. Verse 16, And they buried him in the city of David amongst the kings because he had done good in Israel both towards God and his house. Now we see a change come over this man after Jehoi- uh, Joash after Jehoiada's death. Verse 17, Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders in Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Now, when it speaks of these leaders, these are landowners, and these are people of influence. Now, instead of him seeking out this godly man Jehoiada, he's speaking out people with other motives. Verse 18, Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass or their willful sin. Yet he, God, sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord... He also has forsaken you. So they have conspired against him, and at the command of the king, now this is king, He remember what he's doing here, this man, Zechariah, is the son of Jehoiada, but the king gives the command, and they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. 
Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father or his teacher, had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord took on it, the Lord look on it and repay. And the Lord did do that. Because Joash forsook the Lord, the Lord forsook him. And so you go, now I'm back in 2 Kings, we get to verse 16, seems like things are going good, and it's a good thing that he restored the temple, but he did so without a heart for the Lord. He was dependent upon that priest, and when that priest died, so did his spirit die. And so we go to verse 17 here, and we see the bereavement of Joash. It says, Hazel, we saw, we saw him previously, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Now this is by the hand of God, because again, Jerusalem, they're far from the Lord. Now look at Jehoash, rather than depending upon the Lord, look how he's now acting in the flesh. Verse 18, and Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and sent them to Haziel, king of Syria, and they went away from Jerusalem. So Haziel is basically coming to to attack Judah, and so what he did, what um, Joram, Jeho, <laughs> Joash did, he, he bought him off. He basically paid him to go away, and he did. And the problem is, Joash didn't have a relationship with the Lord, didn't have a God to call on. What happens when you're faced with trials and tribulations in your life? What does the world do when they don't have that relationship with the Lord? When they don't have that relationship and sickness comes, a death comes, or whatever it might be, they're not able to have that peace that surpasses understanding. They do the best they can with what they got, but they're going to fall short every single time. And unfortunately, we see the result of the whole thing. Keep it in mind, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Selah. For Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servant, struck him, so he died, and they buried him and his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. There's this man who had such opportunity. He, he seemed to have the Lord, but again, it was more a religious experience rather than a relationship and it brought, about, it brought about his demise. And again, you can really just follow the name, because you see the name Joash given. It was his name previous, and it's his name post, you know, here, starting in verse 17, when, when he turned his heart away from the Lord. Before, again, at the beginning of the chapter, when he was seated upon the throne, you saw that change in his name, Jehoash, that Yahweh gave. And understand that God is given, but now it's just given. It's just given, and he's gone. He's gone, and this man who could have had such a great testimony, ruled for 40 years, had witness, had this great teacher, and now he's gone. Matthew 24, verses 11 through 13, 
that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will go cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. That's always been my prayer for myself, that I would truly endure to the end, that I wouldn't do damage to the word that I've been able to share, to the people God's given me stewardship over, that I would be found faithful to the end. Needs to be all of our prayers because, again, we see the situations and circumstances of our society today and how they're so far from the Lord. We've got to stay connected to God. It's why we study the Word of God every time that we have an opportunity to stay connected to the Lord because it's so easy. It's so easy to, well, what are we looking at on Sunday mornings in Hebrews? Are you holding fast or are you slipping away? Because there's so many people that have slipped away. Oh, would it be to God that we hold fast to the things of the Lord, that we hold fast to our faith, and that we give glory to God in all that we do. Father, once again, these things are written for our own understanding, for our learning, Lord, so that we would know what it means to be a child of God and stay connected to our God. And so, Lord, I just prayed for the things that you have taught us tonight, that we would hold fast to them. Lord, that you would make it applicable to the lives that are here. And as you do, Father that, Lord, we would be blessed because we've come. And so, Father, I do pray for this week to come. I pray, Father, that as we celebrate Thanksgiving, that we would truly be offering our thanks to you. I pray, Father, that you would go before those who have come out tonight, that you would bless them and that you would protect them. Watch over them. And I just pray, Father, that we would forever give you the glory. And so, once again, we just thank you that you have given us this night. We thank you, Lord, that we were able to 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 enjoy our worship time and our time in the word. I pray for our time of fellowship. I pray for this last worship song that you would bless all. To your glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of...